morning. Happy Sabbath. God is good. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. This morning, I um, invite you to join me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to say in the book of 1 Samuel this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17 is the opening text. 1 Samuel 2, verse 17. And the sermon entitled this morning is Bring back the glory. Bring back the glory. God's glory. Whatever happened to God's glory? As a minister, I've looked for it in God's remnant church, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe that God has called his people in these last days to reveal his glory. Now, we learn that God's glory is his what? Character. In other words, his character of love. And God wants the people in the last days to reveal his love to a love-starved world. What do you say, church? Huh? Amen? So God wants us to see this. But I'm looking, as I'm looking for this glory and this character of God's love, I've seen in the homes of our families being torn apart by the contention and the hostilities within. I've seen the movings of the Holy Ghost hindered by the decisions to follow worldly policies. I have seen the forever dreams of hearts of our young people destroyed by sin. I've seen the only glimmer of hope within the faithful among God's people extinguished by politics within the church. I've seen many different things, and I realize that there is a cry out today that is going out within God's church, and that is, where is God's glory? Bring back the glory. We're in a serious situation. Our churches are suffering, our people are suffering, and most importantly, I've seen that our homes are suffering throughout the United States. Families are being torn apart. Divorces are being seen. Parents are hurting their young people, not spending time with them. Husbands and wives are separated by distance and times, not spending time with another. They're living together, and they're in relationships, and they don't even love one another. It's as if Revelation chapter 2 is applied to us today, right? In other words, God said, you're doing all these things in a relationship with me, but you've fallen out of love with me. You know, if God doesn't want us to serve him without a relationship of us loving him, can that also apply also to relationships between husbands and wives also? Could it be possible we're going in 
and having it as a convenience of a husband or a wife and not being in love with them. And God wants us to remember, repent, and do the first works. What do you say, church? Huh? Amen? God wants, in other words, if we love God, our love for with our families, between our husbands and our wives and our children, and with one another will be restored. And the last message that was given before Jesus came the first time, guess what it was? God's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts to the children to the fathers. In other words, there's going to be a restoration of the home before the second coming of Christ. What do you say, church? Amen? And God's going to restore that. And they're not going to be children hating the parents. They're not going to be fathers hating the children. There's going to be families restored and getting along with one another and truly serving one another. What do you say? Isn't that a, a picture of what God's church would look like in the last days? I believe that is. And families will be restored, and they'll be coming to the house of the God, worshiping together as a family of God. I'm looking forward to that day. What do you, what do you say, huh? Amen? In other words, we'll be coming to the day when the ladder will be poured out, and hearts will be shed abroad with the Holy Ghost of love, and parents will love their children, and children will want to come to worship God because they see a picture of God's character of love within the Father. They see a picture of God's character of love within the mother, and they want to be obedient to God, and they're going to give their life 100% to Jesus because they see the love of God in their parents. I'm looking forward to that day. How about you, huh? Amen? Or oh, how our church needs God's glory once again. How much do we need that glory this morning? This morning as we look into the God's word and it's open, may our hearts be softened and humbled to the message that God has for us this morning. Let us pray. Father, as we go into your word, help us to see what you want us to see. May we be humble, broken, and obedient to your spirit this morning. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the condition of the Jewish church back then? As we look at the Jewish church condition, then we're going to know what we need to do as God's remnant church in these last days. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. How did the people feel concerning the offering of the Lord? The Bible says here, Wherefore the sin of the young men, this is Hophni and Phinehas, which was the high priest's son, Eli's sons, they were the religious leaders, they were part of the church board. The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. So the religious leaders within the church, they were not faithful. Because the religious leaders were not faithful, it says the men, for men abhor the offering of the Lord. In other words, because of the religious leaders and they're not spiritual and they're not revealing God's character of love to a, a, a love-starved world and love-starved church, people within the churches and people out in the community, they were abhorred serving and worshiping God because people within the church were hindering the love for God's character to be revealed. And the parallel is exactly the same for us today. God has a message for us. In other words, God's Holy Spirit is speaking to us that God wants to teach us and God wants to convict us and His Holy Spirit wants to show us that we need to be obedient to His Holy Spirit. What do you say, huh? Amen? That we need to see. In other words, God wants us to know His character. God wants us to see His love. And God's Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And he, what He's saying to us this morning is this. He wants us to surrender and stop fighting the power of His love. What do you say, huh? Amen? No, his love is pressing you, it's challenging you, it's speaking to you, it's convicting to you. You know, um, there's, a, there's a truth in a word that teaches great reaction means great conviction. 
Now, people, when get, they can get convicted by the Holy Ghost, and you know what happens? They either get excited, really excited, especially if it's a stronger message, they get excited, and they do, there's a great reaction to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. True. And they, they make a decision, they stand, they come forward, they get baptized, they surrender the lives of God. And then the other extreme, you know, when people, when I see reaction of someone that goes against the truth or acts um, very strongly against it, that is a good sign because even if it's negative, because that reveals that the Holy Spirit is working upon the heart. And the stronger the conviction, the more the reaction in the guard goes up and the more they get negative or critical or fight against it. And that's why we need to follow up on these people. What do you say? Amen? In other words, a great reaction, great conviction. The Holy Spirit is working upon the heart. You can go either way. You can go for the reaction of the positive for the truth, or you can go against it, true? And so when God's Holy Spirit speaks out and He's speaking to us that there needs to be a generation in these last days, a church that will follow God's Spirit and be obedient to His will, and follow and listen to the Holy Spirit what it's saying in His Word to reveal God's character love. I want that love. How about you? Why were the sons of Eli wicked and evil men? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Look at verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Why? Because they knew not the Lord. Hmm. We've been learning that, right? What happens when you know God? If you know God, you will what? Love God, right? And if you love God, you will what? Serve Him, right? You'll be obedient. In other words, the reason why they, didn't, they were not obedient to God because they didn't love God. And the Bible says right here that they were sons of Belial, disobedient servants of God in leadership within the church because they did not know God's character of love. Could it be possible that maybe... Here this, we're here this morning and we don't really obey God and serve God and love God because we have not known who he really is, which is love, 1 John 4, verse 8. True? So God wants a church that's obedient, that's serving him, that will follow whatever he asks us to do and go wherever he wants us to go, but that will never happen unless we know him who is altogether lovely. What do you say? Huh? Amen? That's what the word of God says this morning. Now, what else was going on in Israel? No, I want you to see the condition of the church here back in the Jewish church and make the parallels to our church. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. What else happened? The Bible says, And a child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. In other words, in the Jewish church back then, there was the Word of God. In other words, the Word of God, and the, word of, the whole purpose of the Word of God is to do one thing, and that is it is a revealing of God's character of love. That's what it is. So the words of the Word of God, was, when it was taught, the people were not studying the Word of God. People were not opening the Bibles. They weren't even bringing the Bibles to the synagogue back then. They were not being faithful. But here it says here that there was not only not the Word of God not being preached, but also, there was no vision. And the Bible says, where there is no vision, what happens to the people, the congregation? They suffer. They die spiritually. And this was the condition of the Jewish church in the days of Eli and Samuel. The Bible says that they were a people of no vision and perishing. 
What was wrong with the high priest Eli? Look at verse 2. Notice the Bible says, And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to grow dim that he could not, what? See. See what? See God's character of love. If he was to know God and see who God was, to know, to see, to understand who God really was, that a love would awaken love with would awaken love within him. In other words, he either he did not want to see, or he did not want to study to see, or maybe he was told and principles that he could have saw if he was to look, just like the serpent. He was if Christ was lifted up, he would draw. If he were just to see the serpent lifted up on the pole, which is Christ suffering our sins placed upon him. If we just see his love, we, it would draw all men to him. Beloved, God wants a people who would just look and see for themselves the truth that God is love. What do you say, huh? Amen? Now, when you see God's love, when you, are, when you understand God's love, not only here, but understand God's love, it will change you. It will transform you. You will be a different person. And the, we need to go backwards. The fact that we're not obedient to the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, the reason why is because we have not seen a true picture of God's love, clearly seen. We get glimpses here and there, but we're not going to see unless we look, huh? What do you say? Amen? And we need to look. We need to take a look at this, this character of God that he has for us. Eli could not see the glory of God's character of love. Now, what happened in the temple? Verse 3, notice the Bible says. The Bible says, and, and almost the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. In other words, almost the lamp in the tabernacle went out. Now, my question is, what makes a lamp burn? What do you need? Oil. And in other words, this lamp almost went out because there was a lack of of what? Now, what does the oil represent in the Bible? Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, it was flickering in these days. Not only was there no vision in the land, not only was there no, people were not seeing God's character of love, not only was there lack, there was also a lack of the Holy Ghost within the church and within, inside of the temple. People were not seeing God's character of love. There, the, the Holy Spirit was, was lacking in those days. And is this not also true in God's church today? Have we not also seen a flickering of the, the, the Holy Spirit of oil within our churches? I'm able to travel a lot of different places and see a lot of different churches. And I can tell you that there is a hunger and a lack for the true oil of the Holy Ghost. And God today wants to see a people who are empty vessels for this oil to be filled within us as vessels of God. What do you say, huh? Amen? God wants that for you, and he wants that for me this morning. And I want that for myself, and I know you want that too. Now, who did God speak to? Look at verse 10, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord came and stood and called his other time, at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak, for your servant heareth. Now, is God a respecter of persons? Does God say, I'm going to speak to you and not speak to you and not speak to you and not speak to you? Is that how God works? No. 
who, where was the problem? Was it within God? Is he the one that pays favorites? Or is it within the people? What do you, what do you think? Is it not also that God can speak to every single one of us here today? Can he not, right? Then the question is, why does he speak to only certain people? Why does he speak to only certain people? Is it primarily because of God's fault that he's playing favorites? Or could it be possible that maybe our ears are stopped? Maybe our eyes are the ones that are, we're blocking it. Maybe we're the ones that don't want to hear God. So God, you know, like the Savior, do not pass me by. Like the Savior is passing us by, but the question is, are we willing to hear God's voice? Are we willing to hear, listen to God? Are we willing to see God's character? Are we willing to, in other words, are we willing to spend time with God in a relationship to hear and to, to talk with Him, to see who He is? That's my question. In other words, God can speak to you. And the reason why many of us here are not experiencing the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit is because we are not willing to, to give up our lives fully that God can truly speak to us. That's what God wants us to see. God did not bypass Eli in a sense. Eli had so, in his choice and his decisions, had hardened his heart against the Holy Spirit's voice. God spoke, and it was a little child that heard. You know, blessed, let the little children come unto me, huh? You know what? The little children, they don't have the baggage of being in church, right? They don't have all the problems and the, the thick skin and the hardened hearts of being in a structure so long that it can harden you. And so that's why young people, they do well until... A lot of times, the people and the structure, we harden them, don't we? You know, it's so sad. We don't even have to harden them in the church. We harden them in the homes. You know, we don't have to, hard, we don't have to go too far. We don't have to worry about the church. We have to worry, what we really need to worry about is our homes. Isn't that true? If our homes are right, our churches are right, because our churches are only made out of families. And if our families are right, if our homes are right, our churches, our church family, our ohana here, We'll be right. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen? Our children will come to church. They will be faithful. Not only come to church, you know, just coming to church doesn't mean, you know, we believe salvation by church attendance. That's not true. But our children will not only um, be faithful coming to church, but they will be faithful, obedient servants inside of their hearts, not externally by going to the motions and going to church. What do you say, huh? Amen? And that's what God wants. He wants the heart. He wants the inside. He wants us to be fully surrendered. That's what God wants within every single one of us here. But our children will not receive what we do not have as parents. True? How can we ever get upset at our children, poor children? How can we ever get upset at our children to expect something of them which we ourselves have never entered into and done ourselves? They will never receive it unless we give it to them ourselves. They will never see a role model unless we give it to themselves, us to themselves. They will never see what a true father should be like, what a true mother should be like. I have a good friend. I serve on the conference executive committee, and I have a good friend that's on there also. And um, he visited me in the other church last week, the Kohala church. And, um, you know, he's a, uh, not only is he a physician, but he's actually the president of Kaiser Permanente, Kaiser Permanente for this whole um, state of Hawaii. And you know, you know, he's been in all the positions, he flies everywhere, but you know, we were talking last week and we came to the realization that, you know, we can do so many things even for the church and even for our careers, but our realization is this, that the most important thing is our children. What do you say, huh? amen? Our children is the most important thing. 
what is the point of evangelizing the whole community, bringing in all these people into the church, right? And the all, and even saving people's lives. But you know what? When we get to heaven, what a sad day it would be when we get to heaven and our own son is not there. Our own daughter is not there. What a sad day that would be. You know, I think of many pastors and pastors' kids out there. True? You know, I know so much pastors' kids. I guess I'm a pastor, but um, this scene, their lives, they're so involved in trying to save everyone else. And guess where their children at? They have a name for them. They call them what? PKs, right? Pastors, kids, right? You know how I never emotionally scarred and ruined for life? Not just messed up, but emotionally ruined, scarred for life. Ruined. Many, many. And you can go either one extreme where you're not involved in serving the Lord and not doing anything for the Lord and your children are lost because they see that example. Or you can go the other extreme where you do way too much and you try and do everything and serve others, but your own children are lost. And beloved, there needs to be a balance that, you know, if an elder can't take care of his own home, the Bible says, then how can he take care of what? The house of God. It is impossible. If you can't save your own children, how are you going to save other, others' children, right? It's impossible. That's what God wants a, a last movement in the last days who will be living the life of the character of God's love. I want that so much in my family, and I know you want that too. Huh? What do you say huh, this morning? Amen? Amen? God spoke to a little child. You know, children are so precious, huh? They're so honest. They're so sincere. Um, they have no hidden agendas, no hidden motives. They can tell you something straight, and it's so real, isn't it? And then, you know there's no guile within the mouth. And you know, my, my daughter is the biggest, my biggest rebuke, you know, besides my wife. But um, this is my daughter. And they'll copy everything you do, won't they, right? Everything you do and say, they'll copy. And where do you learn that? Because daddy does it, right? <laughs> It's so hard not to be a hypocrite because you have to make sure that, you know, how can, you ask, how can I ask my daughter to do something? Um, and I'm not doing it. How can we do that, right? We can't, and we do that, don't we? So it's like, almost like you have to compromise. You have to like, well, you know, if I, you know, if I can't do it, then she can do it. If I'm doing it, then she can do it. I think that's what, what needs to happen within the church. We need to be real, where are we at in the church, and we need to come up, um, have our people come up only in, to the place where we really are. Huh? What do you say? Amen? Amen? What happened next? Now you know the condition of the church. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. Before Israel went out again to fight, now they went out to fight against the Philistines here. What did the people decide to do? Notice what the Bible says in 4, verse 3. When the, now they're going out to war. Now the, Israel's being disobedient. They don't love God. They don't know God, but they're still going to fight the enemy. Now notice what happens. When the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore has the Lord smitten us today? In other words, they lost the battle before the Philistines. Let us get the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. In other words, they, they were disobedient, but then they went to fight the enemy, Satan, and the enemy defeated them. So what did Israel say, God's remnant people at that time? They said, let's go get the what? Ark of the covenant. Now what's inside of the ark? Ah. In other words, we have the ark. We have the only true faith that obeys all ten commandments. In other words, we are God's remnant faithful church. We have all the truth. We have the external obedience. We go to church on the Sabbath. 
We have all the things. Let's depend upon the outward form of the ark. Never mind we're disobedient. Never mind we don't know God. Never mind we don't love God. It doesn't matter. All we need to do is that know that we hold the oracles of truth and that we're God's remnant church. That's all that matters. And so they depended upon this ark. So they said, let's depend upon this. And what happened when the ark came into the camp? Look at verse 5. The Bible says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel, what did he do? Shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. Can you imagine that scene? The Ark of the Covenant came, and all of Israel went, wow, They're screaming, excited. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant had come into the camp. And the Ark of the Covenant was precious. You know that if you were to open the Ark of the Covenant, you know what happened when they did that in the Old Testament? They were all killed. You could not look into the Ark of the Covenant. God's glory was there. It was very powerful. And so they brought the, the ark into the camp. And they were excited that now they had a token of God's favor with them. Now, how did the Philistines react when they found out the ark of the covenant was brought into the camp of Israel? Notice the Bible says in verse 7. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there has not been such a thing before. In other words, when the Philistines heard that the Ark of the Covenant was in God's, God's remnant church, they were, they were afraid of the God's remnant people. They were scared of what was going to happen. They, were, they knew that they were going to lose. What happened at this battle? But notice what happens. The Bible says here in verse 9, Be strong and quit yourselves like men of Philistines, that you be not servants. In other words, Never mind, we're going to lose, but let's be strong anyway, and let's fight the Israelites. And notice what happens in verse 10. The Bible says, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter. For there fell up Israel 30,000 soldiers. I want you to notice that even though they had the Ark of the Covenant, even though they were held the oracles of truth, even though they were God's remnant, precious church at their time, they still lost the battle. Could it be possible that we can depend upon our heritage so much that we are a fifth-generation Adventist, or I was born into the church, or I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, therefore God will automatically bless me because I have those privileges? Is that how it works? That's not how it works. In other words, God's blessings upon us is dependent upon your individual choices according to the word of God. 30,000 of the best soldiers were slaughtered. They, had it, they, had, they were God's true church, but they still lost. You know, why did they lose? You know, the Bible says God sends his rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God blesses us whether we're obedient or disobedient. It doesn't matter, right? What a wonderful God we serve, right? Amen? But in spite of all that mercy and all the things that we do, I can tell you from experience that God is, has been merciful to me. He has been long-suffering to me. In spite of my disobedience, God has blessed me. And I wonder why he would bless me in spite of my disobedience. But we're told in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, 5, verse 32, that the Holy Ghost is given to God, by God to them 
that obey him. There's a, there's a quotation here from Prof, Prophets and Kings, page 293. God's favor toward Israel had always been conditional on their obedience. In other words, there's a special favor besides the blessing God blesses every single day. There is a special blessing that God can only give through natural law of obedience by cause and effect. If you do something, a natural thing will happen and there will be special blessings given upon us. And God gives us special blessings to all of us conditional upon their obedience. In other words, God blesses every single one of us because he's a merciful God. But because Israel was not obedient that, at that time, they were not able to receive the blessing that God had, had wanted for that church. And today, could it be possible that we're maybe going to the motions of spirituality, to the form of worship, and lack the worship of the true God and to deny the power thereof of who God really is. You now God wants his people to be obedient, but not an external obedience. He wants a heart obedience this morning. What do you say, huh? Amen? That's what God wants for every single one of us. Notice what happens after this defeat of God's people. Verse 20 to 22. Phinehas died in the war. The, the, one of Eli's sons, both of sons, Phinehas and Hophni, both died. And his wife was giving birth during this time after, after they lost in the battle. Notice what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 20 to 22. The Bible says, And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for you have borne a son. Thank you. Fear not, for you have borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. In other words, she passed away. She died at this time. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Eli had died also. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. The last words that she said was that the glory had departed. In other words, the cry of her heart at that time, was bring back the glory. Bring back the glory. In other words, we lost the glory. The ark of God was taken captive by the enemy. This was our precious heritage given to us. It was taken away and all through the battlefield as they were being slain and slaughtered by the Philistines, as the Israelites were fighting against the Philistines, the cry on the battlefield was the same everywhere. And that cry was this, we've lost the ark of the covenant. Hophni and Phinehas has died. The high priest Eli has also died. Bring back the glory. The cry throughout all of Israel as it spread throughout the camp was bring back the glory. Time moved on. The days passed into weeks. The weeks passed into months. And the glory was still no longer found in Israel. And Israel now faced another crisis. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5 in your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. There was a crisis. What was the crisis? Know what the Bible says? And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 
Now notice this battle here. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Avon. In other words, they came to fight against the nation of Israel. And the Philistines came in. How many soldiers? They had so much people that they, it was as the what? The sand of the what? The sea. Now you know you pick up the sand and you look at the sand of Hapuna Beach over there. You're talking thousands. Not thousands. You're talking hundreds of thousands. True? Maybe millions. Actually, the sand is probably millions. But you've seen all these soldiers, and you're looking at them coming in and attacking in full form against God's people. Now, what was Israel's reaction to this crisis? Look at verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did, what did they do? hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. Now, wouldn't you hide also? If you saw the enemy coming with hundreds of thousands of people and they're coming to fight against you, you lost your high priest, you lost the high priest's two sons, the spiritual leaders, you, you lost the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of the Lord had departed, Ichabod was being said throughout the camp, Everyone's discouraged. Wouldn't you also hide in the mountains and the caves? I would, right? And then it says here in verse 7, it says, And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. In other words, they, they left. And now some of them even went to the enemy, to the Philistines, and they, went, they actually double-crossed Israel and joined the army of the Philistines. Now, some, some of them are thinking, well, I'm on the losing side, right? Have you ever thought of that? And let's go to the winning side. And they actually joined the enemy to fight against God's people. That's what happened. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him. How did they follow him? Shaking, trembling. In other words, they followed, they followed, they followed their leader. They followed the spiritual leaders. In other words, they followed the conference leadership. They followed the church leadership. But as they were falling, they knew that even though that he was willing to fight, guess what? They knew the true condition of the church. They knew that the, the church was spiritually dead. They knew that people were going to the external form of obedience. There were not true heart conversions. And so they knew they were falling, and they were falling trembling. Now, we know that in this army, it says here in chapter 13, there was only 600 men with Saul. Only 600 people decided to stick with the leadership. Can you imagine? I mean, if I was there with Saul, and I was fighting against hundreds of thousands of soldiers lined up, and there was only the leadership, Saul, and 600 soldiers, I would be trembling. What about you, huh? I would be afraid. I would be scared to death. So you hear, that's why many of them left to the mountains and the caves. They hid in the caves. Others went to the enemy side, the Philistines. And 600, only 600, stayed with the leadership. Some, one of the sad things about this crisis is that the Bible says that some of the Hebrews went over to Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, never to return. The sad commentary that today a large majority of our young people have also passed over the Jordan to the other side. 
never to return. The Bible says, in the last days, iniquity will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. And because of the increasing sins within the churches, that the love within our churches have also grown cold. And it is because of the truth of this statement that many of our young people have become discouraged and gone over to Gad and, and Gilead, never to return. But beloved, there is always hope for every single person out there. What do you say, huh? Amen. God wants a people to do something about it. And we're going to get there. Now, in addition to what's going on, what else was plaguing the, the Jewish church? Look at verse 19, 20, and 22. Notice what it says here. What else did they have here? The Bible says here, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. In other words, as the Israelites had made a pact and they were so regulated by the Philistine agencies that were, they were not allowed to have any blacksmiths. In other words, they couldn't... Well, now what does blacksmiths make, by the way? Swords and spears. So they were not able to make swords and spears. So not only do you have 600 men left there to fight the enemy with the leadership, they did not have, it says here, they did not have any blacksmiths to make anything. You know what else did it say is happening? Look at verse 20. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, his coulter, his axe, and his mattock. What are these? These are gardening tools. In other words, all the weapons that Israel had, the 600, now you're left behind with 600 soldiers against hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, and all you had to fight against the enemy was gardening tools. Now how would you feel now? <laughs> You got your hole. Some of you guys get your pickaxes, right? Some of you get your shovels ready to go against these warriors out there. You know, we had our gardening class this past summer. It was nice out here in the school of the prophets. You know, we had our pickaxes, our holes, our shovels. We're ready to go. But gardening tools is good for one thing, and that's gardening, not for war. If we were to go against Afghanistan and all we had was little handguns or even like gardening tools or spears and swords, right? And they had AK-47s and all these weapons. I mean, how would you feel with 100,000 soldiers coming at you and all you had was a shovel ready for them, right? That's the condition of the church. And you know in Ichabod, the glory has departed. God was not with you. Can you imagine that because of disobedience? Now, according to the Bible, the sword... Oh, what happened in verse 22? Notice what it says first. It says... So it came to pass in that day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan, his son, was there found. Ah, you had two, two swords. Now, according to the word of God, what does a sword represent? The word of God. In other words, there was... Because of the regulations of the Philistine agencies, the schools in the Jewish church at that time were not allowed to teach the young people to use the word of God. I'm making the application. Instead, they were producing soldiers who were trained only to use gardening tools. Now, nothing's wrong with gardening tools, but when it comes to the spiritual warfare, it is no match against the prince of darkness and all of his hosts. What do you say, huh? Amen? 
No, no, what we need is we don't need guarding tools and weak tools to fight against the principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. What we need, beloved, is the people to get back and to know and to understand the almighty, powerful word of God. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. And God is calling his people to, to be faithful to his word. I want you to notice that even though the Jewish church were regulated, they were still found two, two swords in Israel. In other words, they were not supposed to have any swords, right? They're not supposed to use us. The, the Philistines made sure, the regulation agencies made sure that Israel were not able to produce any swords. Anyone that's able to use any swords. But in spite of this, there was a holy rebellion among Israel. That there was still a school that produced young people that would study and get deep into the Word of God. Beloved, we need that today. What do you say? Amen. We need people, young people who are skilled, not in using a, a mattock or a shovel. We need people who are skilled in using the divine, powerful word of God. I need that. What do you say, huh? Amen? That's what God wants. There was underground blacksmiths in those days. There was underground school of the prophets. There were places where people studied the word of God to know the truth of the word of God and apply it in their lives. Now, in the midst of this crisis, what did Jonathan, the king's son, do? Notice 1 Simon chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, and Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn you. Behold, I am with you according to your heart. Jonathan was a man of God who loved God in his heart. And against all obstacles, even though he saw his fellow soldiers run to the mountains and hide in the caves, that did not make him afraid. Even though he had seen his fellow warriors jump over to the enemy's side, he was not scared. Even though he was standing with just 600 soldiers against possibly millions, he was not discouraged. Even though all they had was axes, and pickaxes and maddox, when that's all he had, he was not disheartened. He had the courage, and this courage of one man, and when he said to his armor bearer, why don't you come to me? And you and I alone, two people, we will attack millions all in the name of God. What do you say, huh? Amen, church? In other words, despite the condition of church, it did not matter. He was a man, one man, with the courage to move an army. And this man went out there, and he went to fight and he was led, Jonathan's army bearer knew that Jonathan was rightly trained with the word of God. He was not afraid and he went out to fight in his battle and his army bearer followed him into battle. Now notice what it says in 13 and 14. What happened when Jonathan and his army bearer attacked the Philistine outpost? The Bible says, Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his army bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan. And his army bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, and half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. In other words, they went up, and all they did, took an outpost, and all they did was a little battle. Compared to millions of soldiers, they destroyed and killed 20 people. That's all it took. But what happened next because of this victory? Notice what happens in verse 15. The Bible says... <coughs> And there was trembling in the host. 
in the field and among all the people. The garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. In other words, because, it is, because of this small little victory, the Philistines began to get afraid of what something was happening. Something was going on. God's presence was with this young man, Jonathan, and his army bearer. And these two men were able to take out an outpost, and they were, began to become afraid. Now, what happened because of this situation? Verse 20, what happened next? And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a great, very great discomfiture. In other words, when they heard something was going on in the enemy, and two, they said, number yourselves among yourselves and see who's missing. They found that Jonathan, his armor bearer, had left. And they realized that something was going on over there, and they were actually winning the battle. And all the leadership saw, when he saw what was going on, he said, let's go join the battle. And the leadership of the church came, and they joined the battle all because of the courage of just one man. Not only that, but the 600 soldiers with shovels and pickaxes. And they saw all the million of people with AK-47s. And when they saw all these things, and they saw the moving, the Holy Spirit, that something was going on over there in the camp, when they saw all these things, they also joined to the battle, all because of the courage of just one man. What happened next? Look at verse 21. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country run about. All those who had double-crossed Israel, who had gone out to join the Philistines, the Bible says, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, that they were with Saul and Jonathan. Amen, church? Amen? In other words, when Jonathan was said, armor bearer, join me, when the courage of one man inspired his armor bearer to join him, his army bear joined him to battle, and there's a great slaughter among the enemies of God. And when the courage of this one man inspired all of the leadership Saul, he came to the battle. And when the victory was going on and something was going on, all those who were disheartened and trembling, remember? They came to the battle. And those enemies of God who had joined the enemy side, and they were on the Philistines, when they saw that something was going on in God's remnant church, that they also got inspired and they said, there's something there going on and I want to be involved with the Holy Spirit, but wherever the Holy Spirit is, that's where I want to be. And when they saw God moving, they also came and joined the battle. Beloved, I want that this morning. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Amen. And they joined the battle all because of the courage of just one man. But it didn't end there. Look at verse 22. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. In other words, all those people who were cowards, who went out into the mountains, and they hid out in the caves, and then one by one, they heard a commotion going on there in the Holocaust Seventh-day Adventist church. And they saw the Holy Spirit was moving in that church. And, and they stuck their head out one by one, and, and they peeked out of the caves. They saw a commotion. 
they saw the Holy Spirit moving, and one by one they came out until Israel, after joining Jonathan, his armor bearer, saw the 600 men, those who had double-crossed and joined the Philistine, joined the army. They joined one by one until there was a great, massive army of God, and they chased the Philistines, the enemy, away. What do you say, church? Amen? You see, there are many people in the church today, Saul's, the leadership who are discouraged, trembling, don't know the solution to the church. But when they see the courage of this one Honokah church member, they would join the battle against Satan and his host. What do you say? Amen? There are soldiers who stay in the church, the 600 people. The 600 people are given credit because they stayed faithful to the church. They stayed in the church. And these people, when they saw the one person who was in the church, Jonathan, fight against the enemy and become successful, they joined the battle also because of the courage of one Honokah church member. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Not only that, those who joined the Philistines, the enemy, in other words, those who left the church and went out into the Philistines or the world, they're partying, drinking, and they don't want nothing to do with the church because maybe at one time they were hurt by the church. But when they saw that God was moving and the courage of just one man, they came also and they joined God's remnant church. When they saw something moving, they came because of the courage of just one Honokah church member. And those people who left the church and went into the mountains and the caves, they were not in the Philistines in the world. They were still faithful to God's church. They were worshiping in their own caves up there. In other words, they were in their home churches up there. They're in the home fellowships, away from all the, the, the organization. But when they saw, because maybe they've been hurt by in the church or seen the, the wickedness and the sins in the church, but when they seen the courage, when they seen that God was moving within the church, when they seen the power moving, and they came out and they joined and came back to the church, and they stuck their heads out. They said, something's going on in that church. Something's going on over there, all because of the courage of this one Honokah church member, beloved. God was calling upon you this morning. He wants you to do something for him. He's calling you to be a servant at heart. What do you say, amen? And he wants to use you this morning. Amen? What do you say, amen? <laughs> My question this morning is this. Where are you this morning? Where are you really this morning? Whatever your situation may be, you may be that person that God is calling upon to change the direction of God's remnant church. Do you really believe that those who were in Saul's army weren't really loyal to Israel? They were. Do you really think that those who were double-crossers weren't deep down inside loyal to Israel? They were. Do you really believe that those who went and deserted the Israelite army weren't faithful to Israel? They were. Deep down in the soul, they still love the church. They want to be loyal, but the, what they lack was just one person. You know, I meet people outside all the time who left the church. I have friends who left the church. And you know, it's funny. Even though they have a beer in their hand and they're drinking, guess what? I'm still a seven-day Adventist. Isn't that funny? Is that true about your children or people you know? They're still in the hearts of seven-day Adventists, disobedient to the world, and disobedient out in the world and out there gone. They still consider themselves a seven-day Adventist. Do you not believe that there are still people in their hearts, they know that this is where they want to be? What do you say, amen? 
And they're longing for that. And when people see God moving in our churches, they will come home. And they will say in that day, this is my church, what I've always wanted in my heart. I'm coming home. What do you say, amen? Is there a, my question this morning, amen. <laughs> is there a Jonathan here this morning? That's my question. And I ask you directly, individually. I want you to answer that question. Is there Jonathan here this morning? Is there just one person here to inspire courage within those who are spiritually depressed and bravery within those who are emotionally despondent and valor within those who are morally discouraged? Is there just one person here this morning? All it takes, and not saying this to anyone who says, yeah, flippantly I want to serve God, but I'm talking about someone who wants to be truly 100% seriously with God and say, Lord, take my life 100%. I give you everything. Is there just one person I have seen this morning who is desiring to take big risks for God? Just one person here is willing to surrender it all to Him. Just one person here is willing to give up their job, their career, or their possessions to do whatever God wants you to do. You know, the older you get, the more people want to become lifelong um, um, successful in their careers. Career and family, those two things, great idols in America. And the third thing is money. People compromise all the time to serve these gods. But my question, in spite of these gods here, is there one person who's willing to do whatever God asks you to do? Is there just one person here this morning? Just one. And I don't ask that just to say, is there one person? But is there really, is there such a heart this morning? Is there just one person? willing to be faithful. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make an appeal. And actually, I'm going to ask that if you don't want to be, you're not ready yet or whatever reason, um, I'm going to ask the appeal that if you want to be that one person, to stand. But I don't want everyone to stand. Please, please. I just want sincerity, um, transparency, realness. That if you want to be that one person that God can use and will use. Because our church needs Jonathan today. What do you say? Amen? Is there one person, if you want to be that Jonathan this morning, would you stand at this time? Is there just one person here willing to stand? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. All God needs, amen, sister. Anyone else? Amen, sister. Amen. God sees you. Amen. 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 All God, amen. All God needs, amen. All God needs is one. What do you say? Amen. This one, amen. This one. Can you imagine with a, with a, with a church of 12 here that stood, what God's going to do in this church? What do you say? Amen? amen? And our people will come home. When we all stand for our closing song, stand up, stand up for Jesus. You stood, some of you. Let's sing it from our